As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Oh, got it, got it, got it! 33! Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it! Is it normally? High fly ball, deep left field, oh, 27! Does it again! For this year. Wall sends it well out to left center field! This is Brandon Marsh, the Los Angeles Angels baseball. You listen to All Angels Podcasts. And welcome to another edition of the All Angels Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Garcia. So some tough times right now for the Angels and the Angel fandom for sure. Obviously, this stretch of games surrounded by the injuries and just the inconsistent play of the Angels seems to all be meshing at one time, obviously. Talking about the schedule, talking about the trip to, well, even before they went to New York, playing Toronto Blue Jays at home, then New York, then Philadelphia, and now uh, finishing off this long stretch against the Dodgers. And a Dodger team that had been struggling coming into Tuesday's game, I believe losing three games in a row to San Francisco. And I did a Instagram live right before the series. I think it was on a Monday because of the off day. And someone on there, and I forgot who exactly it was, mentioned that the Dodgers would be coming in mad. And, you know, I think like the Angels, the Dodgers were just trying to find something to get their team going. So it was two teams at very different parts of the season because even though both teams were sliding, the Dodgers had uh, a pretty good lead, if not on the division, but on a playoff spot where the Angels at this point were really, really hanging on to be even in contention for that last playoff spot. And, you know, hopefully fans were hoping that there would have been a little bit momentum build after the strong, really strong performance on Saturday against a really good New York Mets, but it just did not seem to come uh, or stick around. I should say it came on Saturday, but it did not stick around on Sunday. Obviously Monday off day, Tuesday opening day uh, of the freeway series at Dodgers stadium where Noah Syndergaard would take the mound for the Angels, and for the Dodgers, you would have Tony Gosselin on the mound for, again, the Dodgers. And some people coming coming into this series were kind of like, all right, cool, they're going to miss Urias, or they're going to miss Kershaw, and Walker Bueller's now hurt, and they kind of felt like, okay, they missed, the Angels missed the, the meat of that rotation. And if you look at some of the numbers for this year and not focus so much on the names around the team, Tony Gosselin uh, was po- is probably their most consistent pitcher this year, having an absolute Cy Young type of year. And this game turned into a pitching duel really, really quickly because it was scoreless all the way until the bottom of the fourth where Noah Syndergaard got into some trouble with his command. He looked really good early in the game. But like I mentioned, in the fourth inning, the the command started waning a little bit, walking Freddie Freeman, then giving up a single to Trey Turner. Uh, Again, walks being the key thing from he ended up walking uh, three guys in that inning and giving up one base hit that would allow one run. But other than that, Noah Syndergaard did not look bad. The tough part for him is that that inning, the fourth inning, I think they showed a, a 
a pitch count of the first couple innings. And the first two innings, I think both innings were under 10 pitches or right around that 10 pitch mark, which is perfect for any pitcher, especially a starting pitcher to, to do in an inning. But in that fourth inning, because of the command issues, he got up to, I believe, 40 pitches in one inning. And that is definitely something you don't want to see from a pitcher, regardless of if it's a Noah Syndergaard type or even like a Verlander or anything like that. But definitely was, um, he had some struggles. But again, he limited the damage, which was the bright side. Giving up a hit, walk three. One of those walks ended up leading to the run, but he got out of it. And to the credit of uh, Phil Nevin, and I think some people were critical about when he did take Noah Syndergaard out, but to the credit of Phil Nevin, if this was Joe Madden, I don't even think Noah Syndergaard comes out for that fifth inning. I think at a certain point, Joe says, you're great, you got out of it, but you had 40 pitches in that inning. We're going to go ahead and sit you down. But I, but Nevin let him go out, which I think is part of the part of the confidence building that this team desperately needs. At least the attempt at building confidence. I don't necessarily know if it's working, but I feel like they're at least trying, and it's up to the kind of the individual player at this point to either take it or not. But uh, Noah Syndergaard did come out after, did come out in the fifth, but did give up a leadoff double. Uh, but ended up getting the next two outs. But because Freddie Freeman was next to the bat, Nevin did feel like it was best to go to the bullpen. So that would conclude Noah Syndergaard's night, going four and two-third innings, only giving up two hits, one run, three walks, five strikeouts. So, again, not a terrible outing, but you have to take into consideration that one inning was 40 pitches long, and he left with an 82-pinch pitch count not even through a full five innings and some people will say well it was only 80 only 82 pitches and I'll say this and this is exactly what happened on Wednesday too with Reed Detmers 82 83 84 pitches doesn't to me doesn't have a blanket statement does doesn't mean that you know that's the only thing you can look at you can look at the innings pitch and you can really tell and especially with Noah Syndergaard with all the walks and a difficult time getting out of that inning those were high leverage high stress pitches so not all 82 game or 82 pitch games are the same if it was 82 pitches in the seventh inning then yeah I say why take him out let him keep on going but it was in the fifth inning you know you are at this point still in the game it's a one run game you're still in it and you have a great matchup coming up with Quijada coming in to face uh, Freddie Freeman so I understand why he took out uh, Noah Syndergaard at that point. And again, if that was Madden, I have a really strong feeling that he doesn't even come out for that fifth inning. But not all pitches are built the same. He had 82 pitches, 82 very, very, very high-stressed innings or high-stressed pitches. And with that 40-pitch count in one inning, you kind of knew that the end was getting close regardless of what he kind of did after that. And that's exactly what happened with Noah only going four and two-thirds. Kahada would come Kihada would come in and he would pitch the rest of that inning plus one more. Had a very, very good outing with zeros across the board with one strikeout. So this game was in in hand or, or close, not in hand, but in close for the whole game. And the Angel fans are just waiting and like almost starving for any kind of offensive um, output from any of the guys at all. But like I mentioned before. Tony Gosselin has been an absolute stud for the Dodgers. At the end of this game, his season totals are now 12 games started, 8 wins, a 1.42 ERA with a .82 whip. This guy has been the Cy Young of the NL, or at least one of the top Cy Young pitchers in the NL this year. And the Angels absolutely got you coming in struggling as it is. And then you absolutely come into a buzzsaw like Gosselin. It just did not help this team at all. Gosselin would end up going six in the third innings too. But like I mentioned, the, the Angels had a really, really hard time getting any offensive going. And with Ward back in the lineup for this game, you can understand the kind of anticipation, hope, 
uh, of this offense getting something going. But again, that's just not necessarily, that's not what happened at all. And you can blame, you know, the day off, you can blame the hitting coaches, but I don't know at what point does the players themselves take accountability for this. Ward ended up going 0 for 4 in his game, his first game back from the IL. That was kind of not surprising with the fact, though, how much of the timing was might have been lost or how much of the how much he probably didn't swing a bat at that time. So 0 for 4 in his first time back against a really good pitcher was not surprising. But then you keep on looking down the the lineup sheet. Trout with a single hit. Otani with two hits. Otani slowly slowly starting to heat up maybe not power wise but he's definitely getting his average and getting on base more and more but he ended up getting two hits for this game but after that you had zeros across the board from the all the way down from Rendon who got taken out and we'll talk a little bit about that injury uh later but Rendon 0-4 you got Walsh that's 0-4 you got Stassi that's 0-4 Marsh Velasquez Wade Renhefa all these guys at least had one at bats and all had zeros so you don't necessarily know what what it is because even your top guys have been struggling it feels like trout has not been the same yes he had that great two home run game on saturday against the mets but you take that one game out trout has been really struggling and has not been the mvp type of player the angels need to 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 be competitive let's be honest like trout needs to be an mvp type of player and if you look at the probably the last you know three weeks especially during that losing streak, he was not that. And that's just really going to hurt this team's offensive production. Yes, Ward is back. And I feel like that will that will click. That will come around with him there and, and Otani and, and, and Trout. But, you know, the first game back, I was not surprised. And even late in the game, even after Andrew Wants um, gives up a home run to Mookie Betts in the eighth inning to make it 2-0, the Angels still had a very, very um, – good chance to at least tie the game, at least tie the game and put some pressure on Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell the closer for the Dodgers. Cause in the ninth inning, Mike Trout would come up and get his one hit of the game in a very scary and odd moment in the game where Trout uh, breaks his bat on the hit and on the follow through the bat ricochets backwards and nails the home plate umpire right between the mask, right between the, the eye slits in his mask to where you can tell it, it it scratched him up pretty good and he had to be removed from the game. So with that, Kimbrell kind of sat around and had to wait for, you know, the umpire to come back out. Did that have anything to do with the, with him struggling right after that? I don't know. But once play did resume, you had Shohei Otani again, slowly hitting up. I think he has like a, a six or seven game um, hit streak going on right now, but he would come in and double. So now you're looking at second and third. Duffy comes in, walks. Duffy again in for Anthony Rendon. But after that, so you have bases loaded with two outs with Jared Walsh on the mound. And you would think Kimbrell being a righty, Walsh being a lefty, Walsh hitting righties very well. You would like the uh, advantage there. But that is not what happened after Walsh strikes out to make the second out. Max Stassi comes up again with a, with another opportunity to get a base hit, scores two, ties the game. You take your chances in the extra innings or you know, maybe he gets something down the line and all those guys come home. It's a base clearing double of some sort. So unfortunately, Stassi, watching the game live, you can very easily see how they wanted to pitch Stassi. Everything was away. Everything was kind of up and away. There was some calls that were on the borderline where, yes, it could have went either way, strike or ball. But you saw with the new umpire back there, he was giving that zone a strike call. And he, Kimbrell, just kept on peppering that zone. And I was very, very surprised that Stassi did not seem to adjust to that at all. Not even, you know, if you take a hack at it and you miss, that's one thing, especially that late. You're not worried about hitting a double play. You're not worried about, um, you know, a soft line ball, a soft line drive or anything like that. You're just trying to put the ball and play with two outs and bases loaded. And for him to not swing at all was very surprising especially for me someone that has never played you know baseball at any kind of real real big competitive level to see like oh this pitcher is trying to work him away and 
for Stassi not to realize that, I don't know if you, if the scouting report on Stassi is that they never pitch him away, so he was just waiting for him to come back in. I don't, I don't know, but it was very, very surprising to see Stassi not at least attempt to fight off a pitch and foul it off when you, when it was consistently, consistently on the outside half of the zone. And yeah, some of them were questionable, but with two outs and the bases loaded, you need to at least foul it off and 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 compete. And he did not do that. So the angels would end up dropping the first game of the freeway series to zero. So now let's talk about Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon has came, came back during the weekend series against the Mets. Um, and it was something to really look forward to because like I mentioned in the past, you can have your thoughts about Anthony Rendon as far as if he is a benefit to the team, if he's a detriment to the team, if he costs too much, if he does, you know, he's not worth the money or any of that stuff. And I can totally understand everyone's viewpoint on that. But I think the one thing that is not refutable, not arguable is he is a better third baseman than what the Angels have right now in his backup being Matt Duffy. I still think, you know, a 60% Rendon is probably better than 100% Duffy if we take over the whole picture of the of the player, not just the offense or not just the defense, but the whole uh, picture, the whole vibe of the player. But obviously he got hurt. Reports came out after the game or actually during the game that it is a re-aggravation of that right wrist, the same wrist that put him on the I.L., earlier this year. And for me, it kind of started sounding like it later. Did the angels rush him back too soon? A losing streak and losing a lot of places in the standings will do a lot of crazy things for front offices, people's minds and managers minds. You start being a little more desperate. It already came out that, you know, obviously Joe Madden's gone, but now Perry's now the next guy on that, on that chopping block. He needs to start performing too. And maybe this team will start performing in the future. Maybe Perry did, has done a great job with the draft class that he had last year and some of the guys that he picked up last year in the minor leagues that have you look at some of the minor league teams around the Angels and they are competing and they're competing very well. So for for some of us Angel fans, that is something that I guess it's something to look forward to. But when you're in the here and now as far as how's the major league team doing? It is hard to kind of get amped for the minor leaguers that are still two or three years away. But I, but again, going back to the whole Rendon thing, did they rush him back too soon from this wrist injury? It, it, it's starting to seem like it. So we'll have to kind of wait and see because right now he's considered day-to-day. I'm recording this Wednesday night after the Angels and Dodgers game. And as of right now, he is still considered day-to-day, not on the I.L. By the time I post this, by the time maybe you listen to this on Thursday, that could change. And he's now on the I.L. And, you know, you'll have to see what happens going forward now with Anthony Rendon. Just because, like I mentioned before, he is a guy that has struggled. No doubt about that. But I still think... It is a better option than what they have right now. And like (laughs) the one thing about, and just thinking about this, and this is kind of a a stream of consciousness, conscious kind of thing, but everyone loved the move last uh, draft, uh, last draft season or last, the last draft in 2021, the move of drafting 20 pitchers and 20 slots and signing 19 of them. Because yes, everyone knows that, Um, angels desperately need pitching. Everyone knows that, but the downside of going 20 for 20 in that, um, area, if you will, is that you didn't get any position players at all. So now the position players you do have, uh, have been not delayed a year. I don't want to say delayed a year, but now you start looking at the top prospects from the angels organizations that are infield prospects, just position player prospects. They're either international signees who are very young, probably still two, three years away, or guys that Angel signed or drafted maybe two years ago out of high school because they were freak athletes in high school and are still, again, two years away from developing into something that can contribute to the major league team. Where if last year you, you draft, let's say, 15 pitchers 
and five position players, one of them maybe a catcher, one of them maybe being a third baseman, maybe one of them being uh, you know, another infielder. And if they're college type of players that who are already a little more polished and maybe a little bit more ready to get to the majors, maybe you start seeing some of those guys plug into third base right now when Anthony Rendon is out, but you don't have that. And so you have Matt Duffy. So it really sucks that Rendon's going to be missing time, it looks like, and there's not a hot prospect that can come up and fill the void and at least give the angel fans something to look forward to when it comes to the young prospect because there are a couple really good guys on the prospect list for the angels as i pull it up but most of them again sam bachman we'll see what happens he's kind of dealing with injury issues this year pitching wise but when you start looking at the position players that are in the top of the prospect list for the angels Arrow Vera is a, a, supposed to be a really good middle infield type, but he's still in low A Inland Empire right now. He looks great there, but between that and him only being 19 years old, he's still a while away from the majors. And he's your number two prospect. Same thing with uh, Kyrene Paris. He's with the he's with the high A uh, Tri City Dust Devils, and he's only 20. So. When you start looking at position players that can make an impact in our prospect farm system, they're still two plus years away because they are like all 19, 20, uh, maybe 21. But so it's it's going to be a while before this team actually starts benefiting from some of these draft picks that Perry and quite honestly, the, the last GM Epler did before before he left because some of these young Paris, I believe, is from the previous regime. Regime Adams is uh, Jackson is Jeremiah Jackson is um, those guys are from the previous front office. So I do like some of the guys that are in the system. And when you see some of the preseason and you know midseason rankings and don't be surprised when the angels rankings are very low because i personally when i think of prospects that can help and like where our team should be ranked in the prospect list i think of guys that can contribute to the team fairly you know soon if not this year next year and quite honestly like i said besides sam bachman i don't know if any of the top five guys are going to be in the majors next year besides sam so that's going to be something to really look out for. It sucks that, like I said, with Rendon missing time, there's not like a hot prospect third baseman that is like the top, you know, seven uh, prospect that's right on the edge and ready to come up that that the Angels can put in there and that fans can get really excited for. So Angels drop the first game of the series against the Dodgers 2-0. to zero. Rendon's out for an extended period of time. It looks like offense, the offense is, is out for an experience. Uh, uh, a little bit of time, but you can hopefully look to the next day and we'll talk about uh, Tuesday or talk about Wednesday's game. And again, the offense really, really struggling right after this. Today's episode of the All Angels podcast is brought to you by Sportstring, your digital water cooler. Sportstring is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and hate your favorite team. A rising tide floats all boats, so go check them out online and on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. Spelled like sports drink without the vowels. So we are back. Uh, so let's talk about the Wednesday night game again against the Dodgers. Um, offense has just been an unbelievably struggling over this last you know, two, three weeks, you take away that one offensive explosion over the Mets. The offense has not produced much at all. And myself included, I really thought once they got the win against Boston, once they had that kind of offensive explosion against the Mets, that you would see more consistency out of some of, especially some of the top guys. But that has definitely not been, been, been it at all so far. Um, in the last couple of weeks. So you go into Wednesday again, looking for any kind of a spark, but kind of like I mentioned before, you had now Matt Duffy playing third for Anthony Rendon, who again is day to day right now, but I have a feeling he'll probably go on the IL just because you can't afford, especially going into a long series against Seattle, where there is a double header on Saturday. You can't afford to have one of your position players, uh, 
not being available and taking up a roster spot. So I kind of think that Rendon will be put on the IL by Friday. Um, but again, I don't know that yet. And maybe by the time you're listening to this, they would have made an announcement. But the Dodgers, again, everyone wanted to talk about how the Angels were missing, you know, Kershaw and Urias and Bueller. But Tyler Anderson, again, was just as good as Goslin was the day before. Um, and he really, really showed it uh, during this game. And for the Angels, you had Reed Detmers on the mound making the return to Dodger Stadium where I believe he made his MLB debut for the Angels last season. And it got off to a really rough start in the first inning for um, Reed Detmers because, you know, the biggest thing I've noticed with the Angels pitchers, and you can talk about this with Otani, you can talk about this with Sandoval, you can talk about this with Syndergaard, you can just, you, you know, I feel like every pitcher in the Angels rotation right now kind of has this issue, and that is just get through the first inning, get comfortable, and find your groove, find the feel. I don't know if it's something they're doing down the bullpen where they're not really working. I don't want to say working hard, but I don't know. I don't know how to say it where maybe they need to change up their bullpen pregame bullpen routine because it always seems like the first inning is always the one where you kind of hold your breath and you hope they are able to get out of it. And that's exactly what didn't happen for Reed today. Big, big first inning um, started off by giving up uh, two walks, one to Freddie Freeman, one to Trey Turner, and then ends up just hanging uh, what looked like an off-speed pitch up high to Will Smith, and he takes advantage of that and puts it over the wall for a three-run home run. So the Angels, who already offensively have been struggling, are now down 3-0 in the t- bottom of the first. He would end up giving up two more singles before he's able to get the final out of the game by um, – Chris Taylor hits a fly ball to deep center field, but luckily Mike Trout's out there and makes one of his better catches of his career going over the wall and robbing another three-run home run. So it could have been a lot worse, but you're looking at it, Dodgers only scoring three runs. You have to kind of take that as a W because of all the traffic that he had on the bases. And again, it's a lot of pitches in one inning, you know, it's great when you can get through an inning with 15 pitches or, you know, 17 pitches, but when you're getting up in there and then the mid to high thirties in one single inning, unless those next couple innings are really quick and low stress, you have to think that those pitches kind of mean more and are a little more taxing on the pitcher's arm just because they're in such a short burst. But he would end up, Detmers would end up having a better game than I think a lot of people anticipated, but he would only end up, he would end up giving up another home run to Trey Turner in the bottom of the third, where he would be eventually uh, lifted in the fourth inning. So he got into the fourth inning. He would end up being lifted with three and two thirds, giving up four hits, four earned runs, six strikeouts, three walks. So the strikeouts were there. The walks are also there, unfortunately. And, it just seems like during this stretch of offenses struggling, the Angels offense struggling, and some of the teams they're playing really do take advantage of mistakes by pitchers. And you will see, you know, whether it's the Dodgers or the Mets or the Yankees, you you will see pitchers make mistakes. And the Angels batters, whoever it is, Trout, um, Walsh, you know, uh, Stassi, whoever, just not take advantage of it. You can tell when they hang a, a breaking ball and they foul it off or they hit off the end of the bat and they just miss it or just get underneath it. And on the flip side, when Reed makes maybe like two or three mistakes, they're taking two of those three and, and putting them over the wall and putting the Angels in a really, really tough situation. But like I mentioned, Reed would go three and two-thirds inning on 83 pitches. So this is, again, kind of going back to what I was saying about Noah Syndergaard. Yes, it's only 83 pitches, and people are probably going to come out and say you have to let him stay in and get and go longer. But 83 pitches, and you're not even through four innings, it's not like it's 83 pitches and he's in the sixth inning or seventh inning because then, yeah, then it's a little more spread out. It's not as high um, taxing on the arm. It's not as high pressured. Um, 
But yeah, with 83 pitches in that short of a time frame, I think the longevity of trying to keep him healthy this year is has to be the number one goal. And I don't mind him taking him out, Nevin taking him out right then and there, because like I mentioned, it'd be different if it was a seventh inning and he was only at 83 pitches and you're worried about the third time through the lineup coming and all that stuff. Then I would say, well, let him work through that. But with the pitches in such a small, you know, inning count, I think that was the absolute right call. And then you got Jimmy Herget, who came in for two and third, two and a third innings. And he was really, really good, only giving up one hit and striking out two. But when you look at this game overall, the big overarching story from this game is really going to be uh, Tyler Anderson and his performance on the mound or the lack of offensive production by the Angels because the Angels were getting no hit all the way till the ninth inning until Shohei Otani comes up with and gets a triple followed by a Matt Duffy. Uh, I believe it was a double, but, and they're able to get on the board and make it four to one. But after that, or, you know, shortly after that was, they ended up getting the third out and the game was over. And yes, the angels got a hit, but it came way too late and could not get more than just one on the board. And for a guy that, tradition isn't necessarily a you know big name pitching wise he really did really good against the angels and he's been doing good all year long but angels bats have been the story i think for the last uh week or so just because there haven't really been there again you take away that big game from two from saturday against the mets uh where walsh had a cycle and you had trout's two home runs but you take that away there hasn't been really any kind of offensive production. Uh, Ward, again, his second game back since coming off the IL, goes for 0 for 0 for 4, Trout 0 for 3, Otani 1 for 4, again, Duffy 1 for 4, and then you have O's all the way down to the rest of this lineup. So that is, is really, really frustrating. And granted, yes, they ran into two really good pitchers, but even being against really good pitchers, you would think that, you would be able to get, you know, at least four or five hits, even if they're scattered throughout the game, get something going. And it just seems like, I don't know, I don't want to say that they're struggling, but well, they are struggling, but they're pressing. Like, you know, they might be pressing, they might be trying to do too much. And for the team that was absolutely killing it at the beginning of the year, offensively with home run and slugging and all that stuff, I don't know what the key is. I don't know if it's as simple as I know a lot of people out there want to say it's the coaching and the pitching coach and the hitting coach and they need to go too. And this is, you know, this was, I thought firing Madden was going to fix it and all that stuff, but it's not that simple. You know, the, the coaches can go out there and again, I don't know the plan. I don't know what their ideas are uh, or what they're telling their guys, what they what they want their plan to be. I don't necessarily know if they're going up to, you know, Velasquez and saying, Hey, let's work the count a little bit. And then he goes up there and swings at the first thing. And then it looks bad on the hitting coach because the player isn't, you know, um, going to plan isn't, isn't following the plan. Isn't, isn't, you know, doing what his coaches say. And then the next thing people will say, well, then why don't you bench him? Because now we're seeing the angels aren't deep at all. You bench any of these starters, you're probably going to have a huge drop off behind them. So, there's a lot of things that are going on in this team that, yeah, I'm sure maybe firing Joe Madden would have helped it. Maybe now we're figuring out that it's not going to help it. But at the same time, I don't think Joe being the way Joe was, was going to help it either. I think it was a one of those things where it was going to happen regardless of who's at the helm. And what do you have if you're not again? And I say this when Joe got fired. And people want to say, well, why did you fire Joe if this is still not working? If your plans were to get rid of Joe at the end of the year because you just didn't see eye to eye with what he believed in or what he thought about analytics or whatever, why wait? Why wait until the end of the year? You know, the worst thing I think that could have happened for maybe the front office is if you don't see, if you don't agree with what Joe's doing and Joe doesn't agree with what you're doing and there's just a big disconnect there. And then all of a sudden the Angels are in the playoffs and now you have to keep them. Now there's now there's you know now's another year of of not working and maybe hurting the team as a um overall hurting the team as as a big picture but you know we'll see how this this managerial 
situation works out. Nevin is an interim coach for manager for a reason. People are already saying fire Nevin, fire Nevin. Guess what? He's he's already kind of halfway out the door when you're interim manager, anyways, just because you know you're not a full full manager. It's weird how that interim title can change so many different ways you look at it. But this managerial assist, uh, change. This coaching change, they coach, they change who coaches, you know, first and third and who does this and that. Like, so they are trying to shake it up. I don't know if it works or if it's just rearranging the the seats on the Titanic. I'm not sure, but at least you can sit here and say that the Angels front office is trying. Maybe they're trying and it's not working. I don't know, but they are mixing it up. They are changing it up. At a certain point, guys need to perform. Stassi needs to perform, you know, uh, Vel- uh, not Velasquez. Um, well, needs to perform too, but I'm thinking of the guys that just got recently paid: Stassi, um, Iglesias, um, Rendon. Like those guys really need to show up and and perform. You know, I would say Fletcher, but he, you know, is injured. Some of those guys really need to start stepping up, and it can't be all Trout and Otani. It can't all be Trout, Otani, and one other guy. You look at the roster up and down. You know. Ward, yes, was an absolute wonderful, wonderful surprise at the beginning of the year. And the offensive numbers he put up were great MVP level in any category. But he doesn't have a history of repeating it. He doesn't have a history of doing it year in and year out. So was that a that was that just a really hot, big hot streak? Or is that who he is? And if that was just a great hot streak for the time being and that's not necessarily who he is full time then this offense takes a big step backwards you know trout has to be an mvp type otani has to be an mvp type you look at um brandon marsh going to be a great player but he's not there yet he's still very young very raw and yes he shows glimpse both defensively and offensively but i think it's very easy to see right now his defensive skills are far ahead of his offensive skills but not to say that they, the offense skills can't come eventually, but it's going to take time, and he's not going to be that big um, outfield offensive slugger that you know you look at, at at a position like that. But maybe in time, you know, you look around the infield with Rendon down. There's really no real big option, real great option for that third base right now. It's Matt Duffy, but what does he bring? Yeah, he might be able to get on base a little more than others, but he has no power. He can't steal a base. He's not very fast. He doesn't have a great arm. So, again, it's another step back. Velasquez, you know what he does defensively. He can make all the defensive plays. He can make all the defensive throws. But what is he going to bring you offensively? He's not very consistent there at all. And, again, you can kind of go around the whole infield and you can pick apart every single person in this lineup and say they're not good at this or that. And that's what this team was at the beginning of the year. Nothing's really changed except the results. So, yeah, I understand why it's frustrating, and I'm frustrated too because you, you do invest your time, you do invest your your money and all that stuff, but at the same time, it's, it's sports. Not everything is going to go great. Not every team is entitled to a winning season. And, yes, for the Angels, it seems like it's longer than most, and I get it, but at the same time, I look around and realize, you know what? I'm here to watch a game. I'm here to be entertained. And yes, losing is not entertainment, but if I can lose myself for a three hour block during the night and have a game be at least closed, then I'm, I'm down for it. But it, it's very frustrating to see this team struggle the way they are just because you saw what it was early in the year. But hopefully things turn around. Hopefully guys start getting on a little bit of more of a hot streak. Hopefully this offense is able to produce more than just one run every two games like they did with the Dodgers. And, um, we'll see. We'll see. I think there is some, there are some very big questions as far as this roster and why, how this roster is constructed. But at the same time, when you go in and try to try to not buy a roster, but there's not a lot of guys on this team that have been developed. Um, you know, you're looking at especially the infield outside of Walsh, everyone that's in that infield. I guess Renhifo, but Renhifo is kind of like a four four a.m. player right now. He's kind of up and down, but you know you. Third baseman, you, that's that's an investment. That's not a develop. Same thing with shortstop. You know, a couple of your second basements are guys that you picked off a waiver wire. You didn't necessarily develop that guy. Same thing with the catching position. Um, Ward is a very late bloomer, and, and still, even with him being a late bloomer, you're still not 100% sure what he is. So 
the depth that the angel desperately, desperately need is coming in the minor league system. But the unfortunate part is that it's not coming for a while. So when you try to buy a team or try to uh, invest in guys that have been on other teams that might have been released or just are straight up free agents, you have to have those hit. And if they don't hit, it's hard to have depth behind them. And I think that's the biggest issue with the angels right now is just lack of total depth. So we have a, we have a voicemail that came through during the Dodger game and the Dodger game Marsh was not playing. It was Lagaris out and left because of the Tyler Anderson being a lefty. And this voicemail came from Dan from Lake Forest and it's about Lagaris. Hey guys, Dan from Lake Forest, uh, first time caller, long time, you know. Uh, what, what is Lagaris? Why is Lagaris? We, we've got we've got Adele, and he's languishing, I, I guess. But I just I don't get Lagaris at all. If you got me, take. I'd love to hear. So thank you, Dan. And yes, um, Lagaris is still up. Uh, Adele is sent back down again for. Um, I think the second time down to triple a salt lake. And the reason why that is, is fairly simple. Um, Joe Adele is the type that is only going to benefit and only develop by getting every day at bats and everyday reps in the outfield. And in triple a salt lake, he can get that. He can, he is definitely probably the best outfielder they have on that team when he's down there in triple a salt lake. So he's going to get every day at bats. He's going to get every day reps in the outfield that he really, really needs. As far as if he's with the angels right now, and let's say you, you, you switch the guys and you put Lagaris down in triple a and you bring Adele back up. Adele's not going to play very often. Adele's going to be sitting on, on the bench probably four to five games a week and not getting those reps that he really, really needs. And if you're looking for him to develop into a better player than he is now, you're not going to do that by just sitting on the bench and waiting for your turn to get in the lineup because someone needs a day off for rest. Lagaris is that guy where you can throw him out there every four games and you're not necessarily because he is longer in his career. You're not worried about, you know, stunting his development. His development is done. He's not going to get any better. And so if he sits, it doesn't really matter. The one thing I don't understand right now, and the one thing that doesn't make a lot of sense to me at all, and hopefully someone in the front office can see this, I know Brandon struggles against lefties. I get that. But at the same time, Lagares has been struggling against lefties as well, and he's supposed to be the guy that can come in uh, with that platoon and take advantage of that, and he hasn't been. So at a certain point, I don't understand why they are platooning uh, Marsh and, and Lagaris. They need to stick with Marsh, let him work through his struggles against lefties. And then Lagaris literally being a guy that is just in for guys that need days off because they played, you know, 10 days in a row or something like that. But if you're going to try to platoon Lagaris and Marsh, I believe is the, the total wrong answer. I think Marsh has just as much, um, popping his bat lefty than Lagares has going against a lefty. And that's, and that's saying something again, Lagares was brought in to take advantage of that platoon and go against lefties and, and really take advantage of that. And he hasn't at all. He's been really struggling against lefties even more. So, so I, I understand why Lagares is on the, the 26 man roster. It makes sense for Joe's development wise, but I don't understand why he's getting so much at bats and so many reps over Marsh against lefties. Let Marsh in there and let Marsh work through his difficulties against lefties, work through his struggles against lefty because he's going to get out more of it than Lagares will. Lagares, again, this, I very, I highly, highly doubt Lagares is back on this team t- next year. If anything, you know, I would be shocked. But Marsh is for sure. So let him work through any kind of difficulties he have against getting lefties. Let him get that experience. And it's only going to benefit him in the long run. And Again, Lagares is there or should be there for guys that have been playing, you know, eight games in a row, nine games in a row that need a day off. That's that should be the only reason Lagares gets it, not because of a platoon reason. And that that is something I do not understand at all. Now, let's look ahead to the schedule coming up. Obviously, the Angels are probably on their way up to Seattle as I record this because they have a five game series over a four-day span against the Seattle Mariners up in Seattle. And Otani will take the mound Thursday night 
against Seattle's uh, Greg Kirby. And Shohei, again, coming off that great win against Boston that broke the losing streak. And hopefully he has the same kind of magic uh, on Thursday night. Shohei's coming in with a 4-4 four and four record, 3.64 ERA with 71 strikeouts. Greg Kirby for the Mariners is coming in with a 1-1 one one record, a 3.65 ERA with 35 strikeouts. So, again, Seattle is a team, I believe, as much like the Angels, struggling, trying to find their footing. A team like the Angels had a lot of people talking about them taking the next step this season, but have struggled this season. I think this is the time the Angels really need to take advantage of another struggling team. You can say whatever you want about the last three weeks that the Angels struggled or the last uh, two and a half weeks about the Angels' struggles, but they've played really, really good teams in that span. But now coming up after the Seattle series, you have, or even including the Seattle series, you're going to have quite a bit of games against teams that are either hovering around 500 or below 500. So you really have to take advantage of this. So this is the Thursday matchup. Now you go to the Friday matchup against the Mariners. You have Michael Lorenzen against Robbie Ray. And remember, Robbie Ray was the huge offseason acquisition for the Seattle Mariners. And he has struggled a bit this year. He is five and six with a 4.52 ERA with 81 strikeouts. Michael Lorenzen, six and three with a 3.45 ERA with 44 strikeouts. So obviously Robbie Ray has the stuff to to shut an offense down. He hasn't shown it as much this year, but it's still there. So Angel fans and Angels have to look out for that. Michael Lorenzen, again, having a very good season by his standards, by any standards, really, um, especially making that jump from the bullpen to the starting rotation. And that is going to be Friday night. All the games, uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday, and I believe the late game on Saturday will be a 7-10 start. Uh, again, Saturday's two games. Um, Angels have come out and said it looks like Patrick Sandoval will be the starter on the Saturday morning game. They have yet to announce a starter for the Saturday night game. Uh, Seattle has not announced a starter for either one of the games. And then Sunday, same story. N- uh, no starters have been officially announced. But like I mentioned before, by the time you listen to this podcast, there might have be there might be more news out as far as who your starting pitchers are. But Angels really need to take advantage of this trip up north. Again, they're playing Seattle five games in four days. They really do need – If I, I don't want to say it's a must-win because I feel like that's a dumb thing to say right now this early. And, yes, it's still pretty early in the season. But it, it is a must-win series for this Angels. If, if for any reason other than just the standings, for the confidence of it, for the confidence of this team, for the confidence of the players, just to be able to say they won a series or the first series they won since, you know, whenever. This is going to be a very, very crucial series for the Angels. And quite honestly, it's probably going to be a very crucial series for Seattle. So they're going to have a lot to play for as well. So we'll see how this happens. We'll see how this all plays out. Right now, as we record standings, Angels are right now 29 and 35, 10 and a half games out of first place. And they are right now th- uh, five and a half out of the last wild card spot. And right behind them is Seattle, only a half game back of the Angels. So, again, Seattle's kind of the same team as the Angels right now, a team that had a lot of hopes coming into the season that has just not worked out the way they had hope. Um, but again, we'll see how this plays out. The Angels need to take advantage of this, and they need to take advantage of playing Kansas City, and they need to take advantage of Chicago, and then they have another series with uh, Seattle before the end of the month. And they really need to get on some kind of a hot streak. They need to get, you know, eleven games, win eleven games or so before the end of the month to, to really, I think, ignite this team and ignite this fan base. Let's be honest. So, wait and see, wait and see, wait and see. So the last thing I want to kind of bring up is more of a question that I'm interested in hearing what people's responses are. And I think the biggest thing that has been hurting this team, you can talk about on the field as far as defensively or pitching or even in the batter's box offensively. And it's been the consistency issue of this team. There's been so many times where this team has shown glimpses of how good they could be and how much of a powerhouse they could be in the division and in the league, but 
it just seems like when that does happen, the next couple games, they take a huge step back and they look nothing like that. And it's just the consistency aspect. But I don't know where that comes from, the consistency. Is consistency a skill that you can coach, teach? Is consistency something that you can breed in the minor leagues and bring up with you in the majors or is or is or is consistency something like a skill like speed you know you either have it or you don't yeah there's certain things you can do to maybe make it a little bit better but at the end of the day you were born fast or you weren't then is that the same thing with consistency yeah maybe there's little tweaks and little things here and there to be more consistent but at the end of the day isn't is that something that you either have or you don't and you can't look for a guy who is widely inconsistent to all of a sudden turn around and be super consistent, even with the best coaches out there. And, you know, one of the, one of the things about trout that is still astonishing to me, and I'm sure to a lot of players is that you look at his yearly totals um, year in and year out. And you want to talk about consistent. That is the definition of consistent. And yes, this year is not going to the way I'm sure Trout would want, but he is one of the most consistent guys out there. And you always have, and it's funny when, when Trout, you know, is up for MVP and, and stuff like that, you always have, seems like every year he's up for MVP. There's another guy nipping at his heels. You know, one year it's uh, Marcus Simeon. The next year it's uh, Mookie Betts. Next year, you know, when Mookie was in, in, in Boston or something like that. So, but the constant out of all of that has always been Trout because he's so damn consistent. But where does that come from? Is that something that he was coached to be? Is that something that he just is? Is it something that you can learn from, you know, from a buddy? And I think that's the biggest thing where I don't know how to feel about this team because I don't know if if they've got consistent guys. And I don't know necessarily how much the coaching can really help that. Yeah, again, I'm sure there's little things you can do here and there to make it a little bit better. But like speed or, or power, it's kind of one of those things, either you have it or you don't. And how do you make a guy with zero power all of a sudden hit 30 home runs? It's like you can. How do you make a guy that is wildly inconsistent consistent? I don't think you can. And that's a frustrating part too because I think there's a lot of questions like that out there where as fans, we're, we like to think we're in the mix. We like to think that we know – what's going on and how the game plan is set and what every guy should be doing at every single moment. But the truth of the matter is we don't. The truth of the matter is we have no idea if that guy was supposed to lay down a bunt and didn't, or if that guy was supposed to um, hit and run and didn't. And we're not supposed to, you know, there's been so many times too pitching wise where the catcher sets up low and away. And because of the pitch and, you know, the consistency, him not being able to hit his spots consistency, consistently, and now it's up and in and over the wall. That tends to happen a lot. But who's that on? Is that on the coach or is that on the player? And I think before a lot of guys, a lot of fans like to rip the coach because it's the easiest, easiest thing in the world, you know, there's something about, you know, the guys being out there. The guys are only are going to take you further than the coaches will. And now where is this team with that? How is this team built? Is this team built to compete? Or is this team built to get on the hot streak at the right time and hopefully find their way into the playoffs and 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 maybe get on another hot streak. Because I don't think this team is built to, with their depth issue, this team needs a lot to go right for them to make the playoffs. And I said that at the beginning of the year. With a lack of depth in this organization, the lack of depth in the starting 26, they need a lot of things to go right. And the big thing being health and from the Fletcher injury very early in the year till Rendon to Trout to Ward, um, it just seems like it has not been, you know, going very well. So hopefully they could get the health part back going again. And again, we'll wait to see what happens with Rendon. But once this team is healthy, if it is all completely um, healthy, I I don't. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure what this team is and how consistent they can play because I don't know if that is something that can be teached. I don't know if that's something that can be taught. I don't know if that's something that could happen, you know, overnight or what because 
obviously the biggest thing with this team right now is the consistency aspect and it's just not there yet and I'm sure every Angel fan hopes and wishes that it's going to be there soon and we'll have to wait and see and hopefully the Angels take advantage of this stretch of games the rest of the month against teams like I mentioned um they are playing against the Seattle uh, almost the Seattle Seahawks the Seattle Mariners for the next weekend and the Kansas City Royals after that and then Seattle home again and then the Chicago White Sox who are on their own kind of a slide right now at the for the end of the month and they really need to take advantage of this they really really need to take advantage of playing against um teams that are at or below their level and hopefully they're able to take advantage of it and get closer and closer to that 500 mark and need to stop worrying about the division and need to start just worrying about getting to 500. Once you get to 500, get to a wild card. Once you get to a wild card, then you can maybe start talking about the division. But right now I hear fans saying, you know, well, the Ash was lost and they're not able to take advantage of it. I think that's the complete, complete wrong uh, mindset when it comes to all that. So we'll see how it plays out again. I'm very hopeful that they're able to, that they're going to take advantage of this stretch of game. So, Again, we'll be here either way. And if you guys ever have a question and you want to put it out there on on our voicemail, whether it's a, like I said, whether it's a question, whether it's a hot take, whether it's a maybe an idea that's opposite of mine and you want to talk about that, you can always reach us by calling us 951-384-0810. And I'll put it in the description uh, of this podcast. But let's open, you know, again, Call anytime, leave the voicemail. Next time we have a podcast, I will put it on the podcast and answer your question or just give you my thought about your statement or your you know hot take. So again, that's 951-384-0810. So we're gonna wrap up this edition this podcast right now. We will be back on Sunday after the Seattle Mariners game. Hopefully, hopefully with better news. Um, but before that, I want to say happy birth, happy Father, happy birthday, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Sunday is Father's Day. I, for one, will be on the golf course with my dad before the Angel game, and then get back and watch a little bit of the Angel game, a little bit of the U.S. Open, flip back and forth. But whatever you do, make sure you send a uh, text or a phone call with your dad if you are not gonna see them. Uh, Father's Day is always one of the best holidays. The, that I like to spend uh, with my family, with my dad, golfing and all that stuff. So I can't wait, but we'll be back again Sunday night to record Sunday night so you can leave a voicemail anytime between now and then and it will be played on that podcast uh, that's coming out Monday morning but recording Sunday night. So again, always reach out to us on our social media feeds, Halo underscore Haven on Twitter and on Instagram or our uh, voicemail line 951-384-0810 so i'm your host daniel garcia and this has been another edition of the all angels podcast VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. 
Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.